This podcast was recorded on March 22nd, 2019. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Welcome to the Sherman Show. I'm Jeff Sherman. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And uh, today we have a guest who traveled far uh, down one floor here at the Double Line offices, Ron Riddell, president of Double Line Group, president of Double Line Funds Trust, and the director of our global relationship management. Did I miss any of your titles there, Ron? No, that's a, that's a mouthful. Okay. Well, you're a very important guy, Ron. So uh, let's talk about how you actually got in this business, uh, starting off with maybe uh, your days back at Stanford and uh, being as a cardinal. Uh, it's always hard to keep that, that word singular, but uh, I still don't understand how a cardinal is a tree, but maybe you could give us some insight on what made you become a cardinal and uh, how that led to you landing here at Double Line today. Oh, sure. So when I, I went to Stanford on a football scholarship, and uh, my intention all along was to play football, and I also ran track there as well. What uh, did you compete in in track? I was a 400-meter runner. Okay. I only, I only uh, ran track one year there, but enjoyed it. So you're a speed demon. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. It's a long time ago. So you got scholarship in football, but you started out in track. I, I did both. I did both, yeah. But right, at Stanford, I had a scholarship in football. And so obviously uh, my intention is anyone that uh, plays football, I think, at that level is – you want to go beyond that and, and play professional football. And we haven't told us your position. What, what did you play in football? I was a defensive back. Okay. Really, I, mean, I was a political science major at, at Stanford and you know, spent a lot of time thinking about maybe becoming a lawyer and uh, would intern at law firms during the summer. And uh, I really didn't like it. I, I felt like I, I don't, I, they actually put me in the billing department, in the finance department. So you were the one counting the six-minute intervals? Or? Yeah, right. I was, I was in the billing department uh, counting the hours and, uh, and, and working, working in the summer in the finance area. But I think my junior year, I started to realize that uh, maybe football wasn't going to be a, a long-term career for me. So I started to think a little bit more towards a, a career in something else. And uh, my running backs coach, Bill Ring, who was the uh, running back for the 49ers during the 80s, mm-hmm. He was a running back coach at Stanford, special teams coach. He happened to work in the, the special works department, uh, master works department at Wells Fargo, and he kind of introduced me to this whole finance area and really hadn't studied it very often. Uh, at Stanford, took some economic courses, finance courses, and it kind of turned me on to that. And, uh, and I got into the business initially uh, as a financial advisor working at Wells Fargo. I uh, worked for Wells Fargo Security for a couple of years, during that time, I was also trying out for football teams, tried out with the Indianapolis Colts and the following year were the Barcelona Dragons and got cut from both of those teams. So started to really realize but that. But you I made better, it far though, right? Yeah, yeah I made it far. collection. Yeah, yeah, fairly far, but realized that it wasn't going to be a, a long-term play for me and ended up uh, taking a job when I finished a stint at Wells Fargo at uh, Robertson Stevens Investment Management, which, which kind of got me into the mutual fund business. So that was kind of my start, uh, start of my career. Okay. So you'd worked in the mutual fund business at Robertson Stevens. I met you at Trust Company of the West, uh, where you were the president of uh, the TCW funds, the uh, Galileo funds, and they were back then. It was a mouthful. Yeah, right, yeah right. a tough yeah. thing. <laughs> and uh, I recall um, you know, uh, taking the CFA exam with you. You used to study together, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2004, I think was the, or 2005 maybe. Yeah, I think it was 2004. 
four probably when we got the uh, level three, right? Yeah, you got me through it. You got me through it. Because <laughs> I know you taught courses at USC, but I think we took the uh, the same course at USC for three years as we were taking uh, taking the test. But yeah. You guys have a long history of test taking together. With yeah. The series three most recently, right? Yeah. As well as well as yeah. That was actually a little tougher well. than I thought, but uh, yeah, the series three was was pretty tough. But as you as you uh, have told me many times, your highlight from the series three is the reverse crush spread, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the crack spread and the reverse crush, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you were president of the mutual fund company at TCW. What did that entail? Well, really, in the beginning, when they brought me in in 2000 at, at Trust Company of the West, it was uh, they had a really small mutual fund company. It was right, right around a billion dollars in assets, and I developed an expertise in and helping the Roberts and Stevens funds at that time became RS funds uh, grow to from a couple billion to close to 16, 17 billion. So they, they, they weren't really focused on retail at that firm at that time. It was more of an institutional shop. Mm-hmm. So they, they wanted to bring somebody in to, to, to really run their mutual fund division from a distribution perspective, a leadership perspective. And so I took over uh, kind of that role in, in 2000 and eventually uh, became the president there in 2000 and Eight right before the uh, right before the credit crisis. So uh, great timing from my perspective, right? Is that what maybe this president of the United States has learned? Is that you know uh, you can always blame the previous administration when you have a crisis? Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, when I when I took over, it was already. Uh, they were operating efficiently, let's put it that way, but uh, I think I improved it. Okay. So you came over here uh, early on at Double Line. You were one of the original 45 of us that came over. What was your role originally here at Double Line when, uh, as president of Double Line Funds, what was your first initiative you undertook? Well, it's funny. When I uh, when I joined Double Line and, and left, it, it was obviously a very difficult time as you're obviously launching a new firm and trying to build a, a firm from scratch. But I remember I was just uh, kind of taking it all in and talking to the employees and, and we're joking and laughing. I remember Jeffrey Gunlock coming up to me and saying, why haven't you started the mutual fund company yet? It was only a week into the, uh, into the endeavor. So I knew the challenge was on and I like good challenges. And within uh, four months, we launched the mutual fund company, April 6th of 2010. So it was a very exciting time to be able to launch a mutual fund company from scratch, pick all the service providers, get all the distribution arrangements and put the structure in place with our board. So really for me, it was a fun time to uh, to have a project like that. So it was a great opportunity to start a double end from the, from the very beginning. It's funny, you, you mentioned April 6, 2010, and you talk about all those initiatives and working with folks and doing that. I remember April 6, 2010 as being the last time we saw 4% on the 10-year. Oh, that's right. In the US, yeah. uh, that was a good, ta- good time to good launch. Good time. Very launch good time to launch. Mutual fund. Um, here we sit today uh, with disappointing PMI data, the Fed capitulating, giving extremely dovish readings, and all of a sudden now, you know, um, you know, a 250 uh, tenure looks a little rich at this point, I guess. But talk about launching a mutual fund. What does that entail? I mean, how does one go about doing that? You said that, you know, TCW really wasn't a big retail shop, yeah. but here you are at Double Line. And uh, what, what's the um, the asset of the mutual fund complex? It's about $80 billion? Yeah, it's about $80 billion between the 17 funds and uh, two closed-in funds that we have, a little over $80 billion. Yeah, so we were, through the early years, the fastest-growing mutual fund company in the U.S., I think a lot of that obviously is the the strong brand from our investment management team and Jeffrey Gunlock when we came over. So we weren't starting from scratch per se from that perspective. But there's no book out there that you can read when uh, launching a mutual fund company from from the very beginning. Obviously, um, a lot of it comes from experience and just being involved in mutual fund uh, mutual funds for close to 25 years. So you kind of know where to start. And the first thing is you got to start just 
hiring service providers, trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to structure the mutual fund company itself, looking to hire a board of directors, who's going to be your administrator, your custodian, your transfer agent, who's going to do the pricing, all, all that has to, you're, you're really starting from scratch. So, you know, building that infrastructure is extremely important. Uh, but that's great. You build this. If you build it, they will come. But and, and, and how do the investors come? So the idea after that is to put a distribution arrangement together because all of our mutual funds are primarily our mutual funds are distributed through third parties, uh, financial experts, financial intermediaries. And so developing those relationships and getting those agreements signed was the challenging part uh, in the beginning, but obviously it uh, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I kind of remember sitting there about a month before the launch and we we're sitting in Warhol. Yeah. In the room, and we're all talking, and we're talking about launching the fund. And I remember you asking the question around the room, okay, so how many of you have like Series 7s and Series 6s so we can go out and sell these things? And I, I don't remember any hands going up at that time. <laughs> and kind of looking around and say, okay, well, who wants to take those exams, right? right? And I remember the scramble at that point, about four or five of us just said, well, we'll do it right now. Um, you know, uh, we can pass a standardized exam, you know, again, given our, uh, our relationship in the past, right, of passing these exams. And so just said, hey, let's do it out there so we can we can uh, actually go out and sell these things. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point, too. I mean, just the, the amount of resources, I guess I could use the word, the number of resources here, you know, in those early days were, were pretty slim. And just the idea, you know, you mentioned you launched two mutual funds in the first four months, a uh, third one shortly thereafter, you know, individuals here who had experience on the road going out and, you know, maybe they were in an investment manager role for the most part, but, you know, being able to put on the hat of a, uh, of a salesperson as well, you know, going out there getting licensed. So no, I thought, I thought it was, uh, I was really pleased to see, uh, the portfolio management staff and investment personnel really step up to the plate and do, and I, <laughs> what's amazing about that is, uh, I think everyone took the test, you know, they studied for like a week and not, not, uh, ever, ever taking these type of tests before and, and, and just roll up their sleeves and, we would put lists together and uh, we just start making calls and it was really a heady times back then. Well, but. there's two other things I remember about that. One is, is like I was one of the first ones to take it because I'd studied for a couple of days. I was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's just go take it. Yeah. And then, you know, you come back to the office and everybody's like, what happened? What happened? Oh, I passed. And I remember running into Jeffrey Gunlock. He's saying, well, you passed, but what'd you get? And I said, oh, it's like a 92. He goes, oh, you studied way too hard for that. You didn't use your time efficiently. Right, exactly. And and all I thought was, man, the necessity that we had to pass it, right? That was the more important thing. But uh, I thought that was a a good glimpse into there. It's like, of course you passed it, but why did you study so hard to do so? And so uh, another story that kind of comes out from that is, you know, you talk to advisors that we talked to early on, talk to folks. You're like, I can't believe what you've done since then. You know, you were my wholesaler back then. It's like... Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a little different tilt, you know, being a wholesaler, as you said. It was just like, I, I remember also the first time going into one of those offices and the guy asked me for my credit card and over the phone, like, can you give me the credit card? And I, I ran, ran down to your office like, Ron, this guy wants my credit card number. What the heck? <laughs> like, what is this business about? Right. We'd all worked on the institutional side. So right. it's definitely changed significantly since then. But yeah, it definitely has been a convergence with institutional retail and uh, that, that whole business is, is not the same anymore. Well, so speaking of evolution, so, you know, we launched two mutual funds one day, followed up with the third one uh, two months later, launched the fourth one that year, 17 funds in. Sounds like you've been busy. Yeah, I think the evolution where we had to wear a lot of different hats uh, was, was in the early days. But as we've grown as a company, we're now $128 billion in assets under management with the various areas. As you mentioned, $80 billion of that is, is our eight, a little over $80 billion is our, our mutual fund business. But we've been listening to our clients, so we continue to try to understand 
the issues out there and come up with solutions for, for our clients' needs. And so we've been, uh, and, hey, and you're, and Jeff Sherman and, and Lau, you guys are a big part of that, is just coming up with ideas and, and putting them in the marketplace. I mean, the Double Line Schiller Enhanced Cape Fund is a perfect example of that. I mean, it's just been unbelievable, the growth there. You were a long only fixed income asset manager and through your leadership on that, it put that on the forefront of every investor's mind in the large cap value equity space. So yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of good growth and uh, diversity across across the board from a, from a product range. Right. So you talked about listening to clients too. So we talk about 80 billion in mutual funds. Most people would assume the other, the other 48 would be an institutional type of mandates, but yeah. maybe you can uh, tell people about the different type of wrappers out there, the different kind of things that we pursue and, you know, how you think about that when you talk about distribution and giving people access to the products in the vehicle they need. Yeah. I mean, I think when you develop an investment management platform, you, you, you want to be agnostic to the vehicle. What you want to do is try to create value-added strategies, investment strategies for your investors. And not all investors transact in the same way. So what you want to do is if you don't, if you aren't an expert in a certain vehicle, administering a certain vehicle, you want to try to partner with those type of administrators. So we're not experts on administering active ETFs. So we decided to partner with State Street Global Advisors and launch a, a series of active ETFs, and one of them being a very uh, successful, there's three, but TOTL being the most successful from an asset management perspective, has really grown that business. That's a strategic partnership that uh, we've built out over, over the last few years. But it's not just uh, on active ETFs. We also try to partner with insurance companies creating variable annuities. So Jackson National is a big partner of ours, but we have we have multiple partners within that space as well. We're not experts in administering variable annuities, but um, we know that they are and they're best in class. And so we spent a, a lot of time putting products together for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can run down, run down the list in, in other areas, but what we try to do is look at it from an investment management platform perspective, whether it's a CIT, whether it's a mutual fund, was an active ETF, an LLC, any type of vehicle structure, we want to make sure that we're, we're looking at that. But in, at the end of the day, it's leverage when you create one chassis and, and multiple vehicles around it. So that one chassis is the strategy, the investment strategy, and then we build it out from there. Yeah. And so you mentioned that too. And so what about the global economy, you know, our global clientele, right? You've mentioned mutual funds, ETFs that, that kind of focus in the U.S. How do you think about offering our services out to people outside of the U.S.? Initially, how we've we've developed our international distribution is through partners, more strategic partnerships. So we've got a strong relationship internationally with Nordea uh, out of the Nordics and then in Canada with, with CIBC. Those were sub-advisor relationships and they've created the uh, the vehicle and then we look at it uh, uh, primarily as a separately managed account. A lot, a lot of service involved in those accounts because you're training those client service people to go out and tell the double line story. But in the early days, we, we, we did that through strategic partnerships. But you don't always have to do that. You could also do it through organic growth. So we built our own Luxembourg-based USIT fund family coming up on three years. And we want to make sure that we offer that outside of the U.S. If you look at right now at, at our assets under management, about 8% of the assets are outside of the United States. 8% of our clients are international clients, but we're trying to continue to build that out. So I guess it's getting close to three years. We launched an office in Tokyo and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an early days there, 
The hedging costs there have, I think, been a little bit of a challenge in Japan, but uh, we have launched an office and we're, we're seeing some some success there. But that has primarily been a, a, through a strategic relationship with Mizuho, but uh, we're, we're continuing to, to look at other other ways of, of building assets. We also just uh, launched or will be launching an office in Dubai and hired our first individual to focus on the Middle East. And we also have, uh, you know, a third party marketing uh, and client service team in Europe uh, that's that's focused on on continental Europe. Yeah. So how do you think about building those out? Right. When you're talking about, you know, developing the business and, you know, you're trying to keep what we have here in the L.A. office the culture we have, the people we have, the, the type of individuals look for, yeah. the the intellectual capital really sits here in this office too. Yeah. How do you help transcend that to the other offices or the other folks around the country, you know, where we have sales folks locally, or to these other offices you're talking about? How do you, how do you envision that and maintaining that culture because that's part of uh, you know keeping the the image of the firm the way it is? Yeah, I, I think what we're going to do always is have our headquarters here in Los Angeles. And uh, you know, the investment management, the the talent, the portfolio managers, the traders, we'll all, we'll all be together. And when we build out these other offices, it'll be primarily through. It's really a client service function, uh, so it'll be you know compliance, client service roles. So yes, the key is to make sure that those individuals have all the information they need in order to uh, communicate that information to the uh, to the end investor. So that that just requires uh, you know open communication, clarity. Um, I think that's one of the key areas uh, that we do a really good job at DoubleLine with our portfolio managers. I always I, I put I put people into two camps when it when it comes to communication. One is uh, a camp of sophisticated confusion, <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of investment management personnel get get caught in that sometimes because there's so much data coming in every day. There's so much inputs that uh, that you have to wean through. And then, and then I think at a certain stage when you've, you've matured, you get to the simplistic maturity stage. And I think our portfolio managers, obviously Jeffrey Gunlock at the lead, um, you know, Sherman, Lau, you guys, I mean, you guys do a great job of disseminating all that information and making it very simple for, for uh, investors to, to take in and, and provide that thought leadership. So I think that's a way that we're, if we can disseminate that information in a clear and concise way and, what you always say is, uh, let's not, let's not have the Tower of Babel and, uh, and, and really make sure that people understand what we're doing and be clear about it and transparent, um, really is the key, I think, to, uh, to communicating across, across the globe. Yeah. Well, uh, I call it organized chaos. So I yeah. think it's, it's yeah. similar to, um, because, you know, markets, there's a lot of noise in there too. And that's, I think, part of the job of, of the analysts and the portfolio managers to try to wean through the noise and try to figure out what are the true signals you're getting. Yeah. But I, I do think it is very important in telling messages, right? And so in this world we live in with high frequency data, you know, access to information so quickly, whether it's through Twitter, social media, just the internet itself, all these vehicles that get us the information, what happens is, is it creates this craving of such minutia and details, right? And when you mentioned like the Tower of Babel type of idea, so I think about it as investors like, well, yeah, this return, I want to see the attribution of it 47 different ways. And, you know, what what was the interest rate bet and what's the credit quality and how much of the return came from that? And sometimes I, I, it's like analysis paralysis, right? right. You, you're overwhelmed with all this information and then you have to go in there and explain it to someone when it's like, actually, it was a much more simpler process. We're trying to put this together with this and this is the way we thought about it. 
And I'm always amazed at, you know, again, I think it's just the access to quantitative tools now, how much detail people want on what happened. And, you know, since we bought that security, was it because of its interest rate risk? Was it because of credit quality? Was it because it was in the index? It wasn't in the index. You know, you start to parcel this out. And sometimes I think that people want an, you know, this, this really detailed explanation that sometimes it says, Hey, we were thinking about it this way. It, it's more of a qualitative discussion. And so it's always a fine line on how to balance that. And I think that's what's important. And I think what your team does well is taking that information from us and being able to explain, you know, how we're thinking about it. And look, we don't get everything right. Try to be more right than wrong. But again, you can at least understand the positioning and why we were doing what we're doing. Right. I, I think it's the, that's the value add that one of the big value adds at Double N is that thought leadership, taking all that information and making applicable whether it's whether it's a trade idea or whether it's just a different way of looking at uh, the same data that everyone looks at on a day-to-day basis, but but looking at it from a different lens, and um, I think your, your team and especially, but uh, all the investment management teams do a really good job of of training our relationship managers and client service people uh, to disseminate that information, and, and and I think it shows. I mean, I think investors appreciate that and that's why you know we've been one of the fastest growing firms out there well i just do it so i don't have to give my credit card to people anymore right figure let them use theirs though right? that's right so we've talked a lot a lot about you know the way we launched the firm and how your role was there let's talk about what you do today not not that you're not busy on, on developing new ideas and trying to get more out there but let's talk about your role as president of double line group what does that mean what does that entail and let, let's talk about what you do on a day-to-day basis here as the president. Well, I think, I mean, uh, my father was a was a high school football coach, and I think one of the things he taught me was leadership. And you got, you have to put yourself out there. Nobody's really going to give you anything. You have to you have to uh, do it on your own. And one of the things about leadership is is putting yourself out there and, and leading. As in this new role as president of Double Line Group, my my role is to lead the directors on the operational side. We have nine, including. My group, which is the global relationship management team, we have nine operational departments that really is a support staff for the investment manager personnel and traders. Uh, if you look at it, um, I always give this analogy. I'm very proud of uh, my brothers, but one of my brothers was a Thunderbird in 2004. And I remember watching the Thunderbirds at an air show, and my brother was number seven, which was essentially there's six uh, airplanes that go up in the air, six vehicles that go up in the air. And... He was a seventh. Uh, there's eight total pilots that uh, that fly, so he's really kind of the chief operating officer of of the of the Thunderbirds for those two years for that two year stint. But it, they're there to and it was 150 to 200 people, kind of like our operational staffs about 150 people. They're there to provide the support and to make those vehicles fly. It's a high stakes game. You can't make a mistake. And I look at my role is to provide that leadership to those operational directors who provide leadership to their teams so those vehicles investment vehicles can fly and and produce the best results for our investors so that has been it's been an evolve we've evolved as an organization when everyone's wearing a lot of hats that was part of the process but as we've as we evolve we've, what we try to do is get these directors and and their teams to really focus on their expertise when you try to be all things to all people that's great, and sometimes you can do a better job maybe than some of the folks that are in those roles, but that's not providing leadership. You want to mentor those people and, and, and try to build their, their careers as well. So you know, just honing in on that and providing leadership, I think, uh, is, is really one of my main mandates. Um, 
And so I think we've been doing a pretty good job of that. The other, the other part of that is if you're providing that leadership, you have to give consistency of that leadership. So you have to have weekly, quarterly meetings. You always, you have to be committed to communication. And, uh, that's really been one of the things I've been trying to instill in our leaders is that they not only have to communicate effectively their teams in order to lead them, but we as peers have to communicate to, with one another. So that's, that's been an important thing I've tried to instill over the last, uh, really the last year. Yeah. And the other role that that's kind of my new role, but obviously my role that I continue is to, to lead our double line funds complex and uh, working with the board and, and our fund officers and, uh, and building out distribution, uh, you know, globally. So there, there's quite a bit there, but we've got, a, we've got a great team that, uh, that we're working with. I like the analogy you made there to the Thunderbirds because the, it comes back to the double line cardinal mandate. And we think about, you know, what the name embodies. It's not crossing that double line of risk. And the double line of risk is extremely dangerous in, a, you know, in fighter jets. And uh, you definitely don't want to ever have that one mistake, which leads to crash and burn. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so I, I do like that, um, that analogy there. But speaking of that, too, talk about to the investment management business, because, you know, I come from the background of being on the investment team. You know, trying to think about ideas, markets, products, and the like. But you you brought up the idea of how many people are in the support function and how integral that is. You need a finance team. You you need uh, the accounting folks to be able to book things. Uh, you need lawyers to be able to make sure the contracts read the way they're supposed to. Uh, you need your operations team, the pricing team. Maybe you could talk about how integral those functions are because a lot of people think that. You know, they're like, oh, double line, you run 128 billion. Well, Jeffrey Gunlock does that 128 billion. Who are the other people? What do they do? Yeah, I think any, any company, I mean, it's a people's business. I mean, we are in a service business. Uh, our mission is to deliver superior risk adjusted returns, but also best in class customer service. But it's a service business and people deliver services. And so really the key is the support functions. All of those people, they have families. And uh, they want to feel like uh, they're part of a, a bigger cause, but they don't, might not get all the credit that the portfolio manager does or, or the traders, because at the end of the day, in professional investors, they want to know who's pulling the trigger. They want to talk to what I would call the talent or the, or the people that are running those portfolios. But there's so much that goes on behind the scenes running an asset management firm beyond just uh, portfolio management. And I agree that these nine operational departments they spend a lot of time, uh, you know, focused on, on, on areas that, that most people don't, don't see on a day to day basis. And a lot of times most investors just expect perfection on those areas. So that's a high stakes game too, because if you make a mistake there, you're, you, you have a, a lot of reputational risk that, uh, that you would lose. So legal, compliance, accounting, finance, HR, IT, all those functions, you really can't make a mistake and people are expecting the uh, perfect. And uh, really, I think a lot of times it's just making sure that those those individuals know know that uh, they're here as well for a bigger cause, and that's to serve our investors the best way. Yeah, and we rely on them every day. And, and it's uh, and we used to have an old saying, you know, when we first started, is like, uh, you know, sometimes the investment team comes in and think the elves just came in overnight, and made <laughs> it really right. work, right? That's right. And we had all these elves working here, but um, sometimes the elves were you, yeah, <laughs> they were me, they were they were a lot of our support staff that don't get a lot of credit on the day to day, but are very integral to our process. I also think that just this other thing is I think people lose sight sometimes in asset management on whose money it really is. I mean, this is this is not our money. We're stewards of other people's money. And, uh, I think sometimes, uh, asset managers kind of talk about, Hey, my asset assets under management are this, or 
our company's assets under management are this. It's not our assets. These, these are, we're, we're, we're just fortunate that, uh, investors have trusted us with their money they've worked their whole lives for. So, you know, that's, we, 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 we have to take that seriously. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I'm reminded of as I walk down from the, the staircase of the trading desk down to the main floor on 18 here is that there's a letter that we got early on addressed from one of our investors that just said, I thank you for what you've done. I've given you my entire life savings. It was like $60,000, and I entrusted you because of the way you run your total return strategy. And I, I entrust you with all of it, and I just want you to know I believe in you. And it's like, it's one of those like things that gets you grounded, right? You just say, you've, sometimes you, you lose sight of it. We think about raising capital or we want to have a great strategy, and you forget that at the end of the day, what we're trying to really do is help people with their retirement, help people achieve their goals, help people sit in their kids to school. And, you know, sometimes we get a bad reputation in the business as being cutthroat and, you know, greedy, and we get a lot of the negativity out there. But at the end of it, if we're doing our jobs appropriately and you are a steward of capital and you're focusing on risk, um, what you're doing is trying to give people the outcome they desire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So with that, you know, it sounds, sounds like an easy job. All you got to do is open some mutual funds, hire the right people, what worries you on a day-to-day basis? You know, I mean, I, outside of, you know, having to oversee these teams, you know, making sure the plumbing's working, um, maybe it's the electricity too, and make sure those don't cross so we don't catch or electrocute ourselves. But what do you worry about as you think about the organization? What, 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 um, what are the things that you think about as you go into 2019 or when I guess we're at the end of almost the first quarter of it? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I obviously I, I think my biggest worry has always been. You guys and Jeffrey Gunlock and the portfolio management team, are they happy? Do we have the right resources to to uh, service them? What we've been doing over the last couple of years is spending a lot of time trying to build up the next generation of investors. Uh, you know, named you deputy C- CIO, and um, we've made co- Sam Lau, one of the portfolio managers for Strategic Commodity Fund. Um, what we're, what we're trying to do is build, build that, uh, next generation of portfolio managers. So, cause not everyone doesn't work till forever in perpetuity. So we have to always constantly make sure that we have the right training and, and build the right culture to that next stage of investors, uh, can come in and, and do the excellent job that the portfolio managers of today are doing. So that always worries me that. Are, you know, are portfolio managers happy and are our analysts happy are that they are they on the track to become that? Yeah. And, and obviously, uh, I think we've developed a culture here. I mean, you look at the consistency of management at Double Line. People that come here, they never leave. Uh, they're, they're happy working together. It's just it's uh, it's a collegial group. I think there is this family culture here that people just the love working together. And uh, and obviously, the leadership of Jeffrey Gunlock, I think people want to follow him and build their careers. And so, you know, I would, I would say that, but that always is a, you know, you have a bright star and stars, you want to make sure that, uh, they stay here forever. And, uh, as long as, as long as they want to continue working. So that, that, uh, that'll always worry me, but also just, just people in general, just, uh, making sure that they, they have all the resources that they need. There's a, obviously there's all kinds of, uh, you know, other things in the marketplace that, that are, that are constantly evolving and we have to be flexible with. That's just trying to stay ahead of uh, ahead of those those trends that are going on, whether it's a passive uh, active to passive on the equity side or or uh, fee compression. You know, the retirement space is is evolving and changing. You know, all all those things are are are, are things you need to think about. But uh, it's it's just it's part of uh, an evolving marketplace. It's pretty amazing. I mean, as we sit here and talk about this, it's to think that we're almost ten years in now. 
and just looking back and see what we've accomplished. But I mean, as you think about the next five years, the next 10 years, what do you, what's your vision? What are you looking at? I think, uh, we're never going to be a firm that just focused on, you know, raising assets and building a trillion dollar asset management firm. That's just not, not who we are. Jeffrey Gunlock always says, and I, I totally agree with this. I mean, you, you don't want to go into a client meeting and the client and have to apologize because you're either your performance uh, I mean, you're always going to have sometimes have performance that's not as good as other years. But, uh, you know, if you said you're going to do something and you do it in a different way and have to apologize for that, we don't want to have to do that. And uh, when when funds get too big or, you know, we have too much assets uh, in a certain strategy, uh, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we're able to adjust. But over the next five, five, ten years, I do see us growing. I mean, we'll continue to to build our international presence, I think. That'll be a bigger part of our business. From a diversity perspective, we've got multiple products. <laughs> you guys know more more than anyone. We have multiple products coming up. Uh, we continue to de- develop you know, new ideas. Uh, we try to be uh, relevant in the marketplace. Uh, we're primarily a long-only active fixed income manager, but uh, we have a lot of new things afoot uh, in other sectors, utilizing still utilizing our fixed income capabilities. So I think you'll see more of that. Right now, we have right around 250 employees that uh, it continues to grow. I still think we'll, we'll, as the assets grow at a certain level, we'll continue to need to build out, build that out. And I also think you'll probably see uh, even more strategic partnerships in the future. I think that's a that's a a a, a good way to build businesses is uh, through partnerships where they have certain capabilities and we have certain capabilities instead of trying to be something that we're not. One of the things that I think what you've seen is we've uh, been a partner of Oak Tree uh, since the very beginning, and we've tried to do a certain product launches with them, but I think both Oak Tree and us have come to the conclusion, if it doesn't make sense, don't just slap a couple of strategies together because it sounds good from a marketing perspective. So I think in the future, we'll continue to look at products that make sense in the marketplace, but we won't be a firm that is uh, – a marketing firm. We're an investment-led firm, and uh, we'll continue to be that way. Yeah, I think that's important, you know, because obviously I sit in a lot of those meetings and didn't think about that stuff. And you know, a lot of people say, "Well, we with what you do and what we do together, we can do this great opportunity." And most of the time, it's that, well, well, you already have a product, we already have a product. Why doesn't the client just buy both products? Right, exactly. What is this thing? And and it really is this marketing hook, right? Like oh, this collaborative effort. And so when I think of collaboration, I think about like, how can we actually work together? Like, how do we do something and make it look different, make it behave differently or achieve some other outcome? And I think that's very important as we think about stuff is that if you look across our fixed income strategies, they all sound a lot of the same, they look the same, but there are key differences. And so um, I think as, as you really want to build things out, it's that you want different things for different environments, right? A lot of people have adapted to this idea of that there's a go anywhere fund. You're always going to be right. But that's probably the most challenging strategy in the world to run. I always say global macro is the hardest uh, product to run out there, which is the actual true go anywhere, do anything idea. But if you can just give products that they, this is how this behaves, this environment, uh, I think what we spend a lot of time in is saying, okay, these products behave in different manners. And our job is to educate you on when to use them, with what you think is going to happen in the world. And so, you know, if you understand how this product behaves, 
then you can use it in your toolkit as an asset allocator, as an advisor. And I think that's something that we've really spent a lot of time doing. And again, I think that's something I learned from you is that, you know, keep, keep the, keep it consistent. Yeah. Right. And don't try to be everything to everybody all the time and do what you do and do it well. And I think that's what we've tried to launch in those product lines. And that's why I get excited to come in every day at Double Line because we have such great talent here and just to be a part of it and being part of an investment led organization is so much better for clients than, than firms that are in the investment management business, but are marketing organizations have to grow it's grow 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 and it's all about assets under management and a lot of times when you're a public company these quarterly results you, you got to look at you got to show the growth we're a private company we don't we don't have to do that sure we're competitive i mean uh i'm in the marketing side too so we, we want we want to see assets grow to, to at a certain level but we want to do it smartly and create products that uh that are relevant in the marketplace not just marketing gimmicks well speaking of marketing gimmicks I think I'd like to transition this uh, to Mr. Lau's favorite part of the of the show. And Sam, could you uh, educate Mr. Riddell on what this is? Mr. Riddell, this is Sherman Says. That's the segment where I offer a term and you provide a response. I'm... Response can be anywhere from one word to a couple paragraphs. So, you know, feel, feel free to take the time that you need, but I'm going to start off with Sherman and then alternate back and forth from there. So he's, the, he's getting lax as he gets older in his age too. One thing I did more know, tolerant, I when you say, said in tolerant. 10 years, I've noticed that Ron and I have really accumulated a lot of gray hair and we you have. haven't. That's just the way years. I am, man. Yeah, That's so you just got that shine still. So. <laughs> it's that inner glow. Man. But, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you can't see that on the podcast yeah. here, but uh, trust me, it is truth. There's a lot of gray now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sherman, rate hikes. What rate hikes? Mr. Riddell, the big game. The axe. Dot plot. Irrelevant. Federal Reserve. Pal. Space Force. Merca. Fastest 400 meter time. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly? Uh, 48.1. Is that fast? I don't know. For me, that ain't for people track. Under, under, under 50 is good, right? It's average. You're being humble, <laughs> I'm sure. So. Yield curve. Well, isn't that almost a mile? No, it's one lap. Oh, a fourth of a mile. It's one lap. I was thinking, thinking four-minute miles, so like, yeah, okay. That's fast, yeah. Okay, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Man, I'm slow. <laughs> For us, it's fast. I, I used us. to run to first base in like 32 seconds, you know, from home plate. So. Your 400-meter time today is probably better than me and my best. One hour. All right. <laughs> All right. Yield curve. Inverted. Sturgis, South Dakota. Motorcycles. Sturgis, South Dakota. Next year. <laughs> U.S. equities. Rich. Business cycle. Late stage. And one additional one for you is nickname. I've been on that nickname kick for a while. For him or for me? No, for you. Yeah. Sherman? Riddler. Riddler. Uh, okay. I like that. I like that. Riddell the that was Riddler. My, that was my nickname in college. So. I can see that based on your attire usually. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> was that the Joker? I'm thinking about well, thinking There was a version of the Riddler. The Riddler's the guy that keeps <laughs> the question marks, the green yeah, suits. Yeah. I think That's Jim right. Carrey. I think Jim That's Carrey. right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, anyway, uh, Ron, thanks for coming by. We really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man. You do a lot for us. And 
I want to thank you too for what you do for us around here. It's it's uh it's a pleasure working with you, and uh, I'll never forget the first uh, Thanksgiving uh, voicemail you left us. You were just happy you're part of the Double Line family at the end. It said, "I love you, man." And uh, on behalf of Double Line, we love you too, Ron. Thanks, Sherman. Love all you right. too, man. All right. Anyway, uh, sorry to get all sappy on everyone out there if you're still listening. Uh, but anyway, that was the that was Ron Riddell. Uh, he's the president of Double Line Group, president of Double Line Funds Trust, and the director of our global relationship management team here at Double Line. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Sherman Show coming soon. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Podcaster. Some other thing I don't know about. I like Spotify coming soon. Spotify coming soon. We think so. And also, we have a new Twitter handle if you'd like to follow us and keep up on all things Sherman Show. It's called Sherman Show Pod, all one word, Sherman Show Pod on Twitter. All right, we'll speak to you soon. And thanks again, Ron. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither Double Line nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including and respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Double Line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2019, Double Line Capital.